It's time for Reflections of Grace Outreach Ministries, Thursday weekly discussion with Thomas and Denise. We are the Walkers, inspiring souls and removing the mask through the Word of God. Subscribe to us on our YouTube channel at Reflections of Grace Outreach Ministries and join our Anchor Podcast channel. And now join us for another enjoyable evening. God bless. Good afternoon and good evening, everyone. This is uh, Elder Thomas Walker of Reflections of Grace Outreach Ministries. We are so glad that you can join with us again tonight. I am so glad and so delighted that you have taken the time to join us on this great day. Uh, My wife, Minister Denise, she's away on assignment, and we pray that all is well and everything that she's doing is is give magnification and glory to the Lord, you know, and I thank God for today being uh, a good day. And like I say all the time, this is a day that the Lord has made and let us rejoice and be glad in it. So tonight we're going to cover our uh, final chapter of the book of Malachi. And just to do a recap of the spirit of who Malachi was, um, then we'll go into the final chapter, which I believe is is a really good chapter that really sums up everything that this prophet was talking about during that day. Uh, Father, we thank you. We bless your name and we love you. We thank you that you have given us the opportunity to listen in and to take part in understanding your word. We ask you, Father, to continue to watch over us and keep us and preserve us and protect us. We love you and we bless your name. Decrease us and increase you and your spirit in us that we may be able to understand and reflect on the goodness and the mercy of who you are. We thank you and we bless your name. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So tonight we're talking about uh, Malachi and who he was. Malachi was the last prophet that God sent to his people, the children of Israel, um, to explain and express and to command um, their attention what the children of Israel back at that time were susceptible of doing a lot of times were serving other gods, mainly Baal, um, Ashtoreth, Asarte, some of the other um, Babylonian gods or the Canaanite gods. They were infatuated with their worship and their service and how they felt as if those people were being blessed greater than them. And Malachi came and God sent him to refresh them and let them know that he was their God and they were his people. However, they didn't believe that and they didn't feel that way when they were enticed by the lifestyle that the Canaanite gods or the Canaanite people had revealed in front of them. Now, they tend to have always forgotten where they came from, which were bondage. (laughs) They were in bondage for 400 plus years. Plus they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. 
Then they were in captivity. Then they were in Babylonian uh, um, exile. Now they went through all of these things. And it wasn't because God wasn't with them. It was because they always had something negative or something to complain about to God. When God gave him gave them manna in the desert, they wanted water. When he gave them water, they wanted meat. When he gave them meat, they wanted something else. And they always found a reason to say, Man, why did you bring us out here to let us die? We could have stayed in bondage. We could have stayed in Egypt to die in there. Or God's presence around them wasn't good enough for them until the point they continued to reject God. They continued to talk about God. They, when there, it was time for the children of Israel to elect or select whom they would serve, the option came to them that they could have a king. So they wanted a king instead of God. So all these little different scenarios and different events that the Old Testament talks about really put in perspective the mindset of a people or a, a, a people that that would love God or people that could love God, but they still had that image or that decision that they wanted more. They were never satisfied with what God was doing in their lives and for them. So they always looked and hungered and thirsted for more. And they were never satisfied with God's, um, God's love and mercy toward them. Sometimes we have to get out of ourselves and really look in perspective of what God is doing in our lives. We might see, like we talked about the last week, the Joneses. You say the Joneses, and they have so many great things, wonderful toys and prosperity and all those things that goes with them. They might have all that as it might look to us on the outside, but on the inside, what do they have? Do they have peace? Do they have love? Do they have the ability to praise and worship a God that woke them up in the morning? Sometimes people get in the place where they're getting up in the morning is because science allows them to wake up or some other means the alarm clock. But when you look at the spiritual connotation of why we get up, it's nothing but the goodness and the mercies of God that wakes up uh, uh, us up in the morning. So therefore, we should be at a place of giving thanks and giving praise to God. However, the children of Israel didn't feel that way. The children of Israel felt as if you know, if we your God and you are people and you say that we are blessed, then bless us then. <laughs> you know, they had that that uh, prideful attitude. So God continued to send prophets. He, con he continued to send judges. He continued to, to do all these things to let them know how much he cared and still wanted to be connected to them. However, they always found a reason or means to disassociate themselves or disobey God's order. Now, 
we get to the fourth chapter of Malachi. Now, Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, and it was arranged in this order so that the world and the people and any whoever read the, the Bible would be able to see the progression of creation all the way to and with God and the, the blessings of obedience with God and the curses of disobedience with God and the ordinances and the covenants, the covenants that he had uh, created with his people. Now, you got to understand now, the Old Testament book was written for the Old Testament uh, the Old Testament Israelites or the Old Testament Jewish people. And you have to understand they were created from Abraham to bring the awareness and to uh, let others know that there was a one true God that loved them and cared for them and the one true God that created them. So they didn't know, no longer would need to have to worship or make images. God came up with commandments for them to have no other God before them, to worship no idols, and to uh, love God with all their heart, soul, strength, and mind. And they decided not to. See, the reason why I'm saying all these things is because there's a lot of conflicting information out there in the world that says, well, God, if God was a loving God, he wouldn't do this. If God was this, he'll do that. And if God is God, God is. And right now he's given all of us an opportunity and a chance to be reconciled with him. He has given each and every individual on this earth an opportunity to come back and love him and follow him and to worship him. It's not that hard. Everything, I, I remember someone telling me in seminary that everything in the Bible is on the seventh grade level, if you're reading, if you're a person. So everyone can understand the wording and the verbiage. You might get a little confused with the ye and the yea and the thou and the thus. So I recommend you get a Bible that doesn't have those in like a North American Standard Bible. Get those and start reading it or the New King James Version. Those are great Bibles as well to become acquainted with who God is, the almighty God. I'm not talking about, you know, the God that that people call the ATM God when they need something. That's the God they call on or the bless me right now, God, or the prosperity God, you know, bless me right now. And I'm going to put my request in, like I'm creating an order on Amazon. And then all of a sudden it shows up uh, on my doorstep. No, no, God doesn't work that way. And the children of Israel took that mindset to where whenever they needed something, they felt like, oh, I'm going to call on God. And if he don't do it, I'm mad at him. And, and when, he, when they are mad at him, then they go off and they start to worship and praise and all that stuff. Those other gods, because the people that was, I was worshiping those, those other gods, they were able to grant their wish or do things for them. And they would think, oh, it's because I worship and pray to that God that all things is working out. No, that's man's influence and that's demonic influence on your life to turn you away from God, to turn you away from the one true uh, ability to have 
a salvation to have reconciliation with the God that loves us and created us. Now, also, um, we're going to get into the scripture. And the scripture is Malachi 4th chapter. Now, the 4th chapter of Malachi only has six verses. So there's, there's a small amount of verses in um, um, in Malachi 4, but the message that it talks about, it really puts in perspective how God loves us and how God desires to always be connected with us. Now, you might not see it when you're reading the scriptures, but when you think from a spiritual perspective, when you think of the future thought that God had for us, the future plan, the future thoughts and the love that he had for us, then we can, we can agree to be thankful. We can agree to say, God, I love you for thinking of me. I love you for thinking about your creation all these millennia and millennia. I thank you. And with those thanksgivings and those praise and worshiping, we should always be at a place where we're giving God thanks for his love, his unconditional or his agape love, this unfailing love. So when we get into this chapter, then I, because of what I'm going to do, I want to read these verses. And we're going to back up from Malachi, the third chapter, 13th through the 18th verse, and we'll read straight on into Malachi 4. So that way, It'll, it'll really give you an understanding of the end of this chapter. Now, you understand, excuse me, uh, Malachi, the fourth chapter, is the last book of the Old Testament. After this book was written, uh, God ceased to speak to his people. He stopped relaying prophecies or prophets or sending prophets their way. He didn't perform any miracles with them. He left them to their own devices as they wanted or as they desired. He finally gave them what they want, wanted. And as a result, they went through what was called the 400 years of silence. And that silent period, we're going to talk about next week of all of the things that went on during those 400 years that caused the children of Israel to lose faith and lose trust in the one true God that they were, were designed to bring into the world. But the good part about it, God always has a remnant or a section or a third or, or, or a small group of people that still are connected to him, that still love, cherish, keep his covenants, keep his commands. And that's where God remains in our lives. So when we look at that and we think in terms of uh, the third chapter and the fourth chapter closing, let's look in perspective of, first of all, the character of, of who the children of Israel became after all these years of God being with them. This is the end result of who they were and how they felt about God, the God that delivered them from bondage the God that said that he would bless their multitude seeds from generation to generation to generations, but that didn't matter to them 
because sometimes we allow the influences, outside influences, satanic influences, demonic influences to tell us or ascribe to us what we may think and feel. And that is a deception to lure us further away from God. That's a deception to steal, kill, and destroy who we are or who we were created to be on this earth. We are created to worship and, 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 and praise the one true God, just as the children of Israel. So the children of Israel, they got to the place where they, they were just done. <laughs> they were just done. You know, most of them were just done with God and they just wanted something more differently. And they showed God by their turning their backs on them, by desecrating the temples, by worshiping other gods, like I said before. And this is God's response to who they were and how they reacted to him during that time. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me back to Malachi, the third chapter, uh, the 18th, I'm sorry, the 13th to the 18th verse. And then we're going to read on from Malachi, the fourth into Malachi, the fourth chapter, first through the sixth verse. And then we're going to talk about what what these last two last few verses really put in the mind and perspective of what God was thinking and what was his thought processes and what were the children of Israel's process. So again, if you go with me to Malachi, the third chapter, 13th through the 18th verse, and also Malachi, the fourth, one through six. Amen. It reads, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinances and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts, that they fasted? prayed, washed their hands in vain. So now we call the proud blessed. For these, for those who do wickedness are way raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Verse 16 says, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. Verse 17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Verse 18 says, then you shall again discern between the righteousness and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Going into the fourth, fourth chapter. So this, this is, another, he says, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All of the arrogant 
and even evildoers will be stubble. And the day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will let be left to them. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Remember the law of my servant Moses and decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. That's the end of, that closes. That's the way God left uh, the last book of the Bible. Now, what does that say? What does that say about God's character? What that says about God's um, feelings toward the children of Israel were not to the point where God wanted to show them who he is and, and explain to him how mighty he is and how great he is and how deserving of their worship that he's supposed to get. What this says in this end chapter is, okay, since you say that I treat the wicked just like the just and that I treated them better than you, just know that I have this book of remembrance of all those that have done good and, and all those people that have done badly, all those people will be judged that did not keep my commandments. That's why he told them, remember the law of my servant Moses. Now, what are the laws of my servant, servant Moses is? Those were the Ten Commandments, and those were the, um, the Mosaic covenant that he had. You know, and those were the, the, the covenants and the, the teachings of the blessings of obedience and the curses of de disobedience found in Deuteronomy. So, and the Levitican text that, that talked about the covenant of how they should live, how they should move, how they should conduct themselves, how they should be separated from the character and the mannerism and the sinfulness of all the other people. Because the children of Israel were around nothing but sin, according to God. According to God, sin was um, anything that displeased God or was not in the direct alignment with what his commands or his ordinances was teaching the children of Israel. So he was trying to uh, develop uh, an avenue for his way to be incorporated into the way of everyone else in the world. So that was God's plan, his original plan. So that didn't go according to plan because man had free will. So man disobeyed and the disobedience of man continued and their heart grew wax cold and they became a stiff necked people. Now we're just talking about the children of Israel here because 
they were his chosen people to, again, bring the, the message of God into their lives on how to live, how to, how to be holy, how to be a separated and, and true and delightful uh, people. He wanted that for everyone, but his chosen people were, again, chosen. So I'm saying that repetitiously to everyone so that we can understand that this wasn't a thing that God hadn't had a plan. This wasn't something that was just coming out of the blue. This was an actual uh, creative, divine plan that God had for the children of Israel. But they didn't want it. They didn't need it. They didn't desire it. It was only a small group that the Bible says that there was a, a small group that they would turn their hearts to the parents and the parents to the kids. And those are the people that were, that maintained a, a, a relationship with God down through the years, down through the centuries. So this is where the word of God got passed down. The uh, Old Testament books were continuously being written and rewritten and translated for all the world to uh, be a part of, to understand, because God did not want the whole, all of humanity still not to know who he is, still not to love him, still not to know that he's their creator and he loves them. Just like today, God has sent so many, so many uh, avenues for us to know who he is. We have so many translations of the Bible. We have so many ways and means to get to know who God is. Now, I'm not talking about getting to know God from somebody else's perspective, or getting to know God because somebody else know him in a certain way. You want to know God in a personal and in a special way. And the only way that you're going to be able to know God in a personal and in a special way is to call out to him, to worship him, to praise him. See, the children of Israel did all those things, but in their minds, somewhere deep down in there, they didn't fully commit and they didn't fully want a personal relationship with them because what was shining outside of their relationship with God was looked more better than what relationship they had with, with him right then and there. We have seen down through the years how um, the character and the mannerism and who the believers in God have taken on these different um appearances. We seen in 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 the Old Testament how they they weren't flashy dressers. They didn't have all the abundance, but they were rich. They had cattle, they had land, they had the ability to live and prosper. They had ingenuity. They had all of these things that a lot of the other people uh, became jealous of and became really frightful of because they knew that their God was the God that was providing these things for them. So they had a, um, a place in the world. They had a place in, in life as they continued to grow as a people of prosperity, of abundance, of wisdom, of knowledge, of blessings. See, and as long as they blessed and stayed according to God's word, 
they continued to be blessed. God continued to look out for them. So in this state, at the last book of the Bible, at the last book, you know, these are the these are the feelings and the thoughts that God had toward them because they had these feelings toward him. So he said, for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his rays and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. Then you will trample on the wicked. They will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Then he says, remember the law of the servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave him at Horeb for all Israel. Now, see, he says for all Israel. He didn't say for all the world. He said for all Israel. See, these laws and statutes for all of Israel were to get in, to write them on their heart and in their mind so they won't sin against him. That's what he wanted. And that's the same thing God wants for us today, to write his message and write his word in our mind and in our heart so that we won't sin against him. See, those that did sin against him, they didn't have a, a special commitment on a relationship with him, but there was a group in, um, in that day that remained faithful to who God was and who God is in their lives. And they were the one that kept the statues and the covenants and they writ, wrote down all of the, the, the things that God had did. They chronologized everything and they put it in a book and they kept it. And in them keeping those words and those deeds and the commands that God had provided for them, they were able to maintain a relationship as a remnant of who God really uh, wanted them to be and who they wanted and how they wanted, how God wanted them to worship him. Amen. So he says something here diff uh, really interesting. He says in the fifth verse. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the, of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Now, let's think about that now. See, this is back in Malachi's days. This is somewhere like four or five hundred uh, before Christ, B.C., before the years of silence, it was 400 and something years after this time that a lot of stuff has transpired after this book was written. So there's a lot of changes that went on and a lot of divination and a lot of turns away from God. There was a lot of uh, prideful things that the children of Israel incorporated and did. There was a lot of more wars and 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 wars and overtaking and all sorts of other things that was they you know they found themselves reliving the past over and over and over again. You know how sometimes people say those that forget the past are destined to repeat it. Well, the children of Israel uh, didn't get it. They they all they were always in this cycle of okay, I'm free now, I'm captive. I'm free. Now I'm oppressed. I'm free. Now I don't like God. I'm free. Now I like other gods. Now, you know, it was this round robin always over. I want a king. I need a, I need a ruler. I want a prophet. I want all these things in my life that's going to help me 
but they forgot the mission and the vision that God had for them. And sometimes we get to that place in our lives today where we forget the mission and the vision and the purpose that God has for us. And we tend to uh, just let that go to the wayside and we don't even think about or consider what is God's purpose for me? What is God's plan for my life? What, what is God asking of me? See, once we get to that place where we start really asking God, what is his desire for my life? God will reveal it to you and God will show you and God will be there with you. Now, just like when uh, these years of silence had started and all these other things that, that came about, down through those years, God needed to continue to prepare uh, to prepare salvation, to prepare reconciliation with them. And therefore, what that meant was God needed. And, and what's so loving and so great about that is, see, God never left you and never forsaked you. God never gave up on his people. God never forgave, uh, uh, gave up on wanting and desiring to have a relationship with his people. And therefore, we go through these years of turmoil and these years of, of going through situations uh, with the children of Israel that we consider the years of silence or what other people and scholars call the Maccabean era. I really encourage you all to read up on the Maccabean era because those are during the time of Alexander the Great, the Holy Roman Empire starting, the uh, years of the scholars and the philosophers. All during that time was also the Maccabean era. And you see how all of that correlates and, and paints this greater picture of what humanity was like. We have the age of philosophy, we had the age of reason, we had the Renaissance era, we had all these things going on. And, and, but more importantly, we had God preparing a way. And that's when he first started to uh, talk and heed or, or reach out to the children of Israel again, when they all but believe that they were in their own devices. Here it says, Behold, I, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Now, this re, this way, see, he had to tell them what he will do in the future because he wanted them to know that he still had love enough and had a future for them. So we go for 100 years into the future. And here, here is where it all starts at again. God has provided a remnant and a remnant of his people were there in in, in the, the, the Jerusalem, in the Middle East area, they were still worshiping and, and what they called looking for the Messiah. 
And they were looking for a sign. They were looking for a deliverer. They were looking for a military person to deliver them from the bondage that they were in at that time. Remember, the years of silence, they, Alexander the Great had, had, had um, oppressed them. Then you had the Roman Empire oppressed them. Then you had the Maccabees uh, oppressed them. Now, down through these years, the, you know, people were stepping on their neck. They they had a history of being the chosen people, but they didn't act like it. They didn't look like it. And even their own uh, leaders were being deceitful. Then they were trying to live a life where they were trying to live up to a, a too much of a holy standard until no one, none of them could live up to those standards of holiness and righteousness. And there was no grace for them. And what that what happened was they built these rules and these laws, which come up to like 613 of them, that if they did anything wrong, they it was death, more or less. So, see, they didn't have the mercies of God, that God would give them mercy, that they would still be forgiven. What happened, man built a system that would automatically penalize you with death if you disobeyed this command or disobeyed this law in, in the Bible. So that wasn't God's uh, ultimate goal, you know? So God wanted us to, to be able to, to ask for forgiveness and mercy and God showed mercy toward him, them when they disobeyed. But down through the years, it got worse and worse and worse and worse for the children of Israel until nobody respected them as being the people of the Messiah. <laughs> they looked for a Messiah, but everybody else went on about their business because they figured there ain't no Messiah coming out of this people. And that's the way they felt during that time. So many other children of Israel became what's called Hasmonean Jews, or they became uh, Hellenistic Jews. They, they were incorporated and integrated into the other, um, other customs and courtesies and didn't really take a part in what God had before mentioned to place in them to be prepared for him and his coming. But here comes in the New Testament. The New Testament started uh, somewhere around uh, two or three BC. And that's around the, the, the time that Christ was born. So here's the way this starts out now. Here it goes, you see. Uh, now, this is a testimony of John. Now, know who John is John the Baptist. Everyone knows that John the Baptist was the person that were crying out to his people to repent for the kingdom of, of heaven is at hand. You know, to repent for salvation is near. Repent for the Messiah is come. So first John, uh, uh, sorry, John, the first chapter. And if you go to your Bibles to me, and um, that's John, the first chapter, the 19th to the 24th verse. And this is, this is a great, this is a great um, introduction to the New Testament. This is a great introduction to who God is and how God sets up the remnant to be the, the announcement of 
the Messiah, the announcement of the Savior, the announcement of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords in our lives because he still had love and he still had a desire for a relationship with all mankind, not just only the Jews, but then to the Gentiles, as the Bible tells us. But it was first for the Jews because he wanted his people that he had chosen to reconcile them there themselves and to come back to him. And that's all he wanted. That's all he desired in, 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 in this whole life is that for those things to happen, for that to line itself back up and let them worship him in spirit and in truth. So first John, I'm, I'm sorry, John first chapter, 19 to 21st, it says, now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Now the Christ is considered the anointed one. So they were looking for the anointed one through scriptures, which the book of Isaiah um, and a few of the other uh, books in the Old Testament were prophetic in saying that there was a, 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 a person that was going to come that was going to have the government on their shoulders and he would be called Manu uh, unto us a child are born, is born and he would be called Emmanuel and he would have the world on the government on his shoulders. So they knew of that from Old Testament scriptures. And then there were other prophecies in the Bible that Jesus had prophetically fulfilled when he were born on this earth. But this is just the first conversation that God had with his people in after 400 years. You can tell how many generations came and went, came and went, were born, and the message of who God was, the message of of Malachi was either watered down or it wasn't even discussed anymore. So they didn't probably know. And probably the priest and, and all the other people that became zealous for God, they were the only one that was really reading scriptures and was really studying the word of God, but they were looking in the wrong context of the Messiah when he came. Thus it says, he said on the 21st verse, and they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you a prophet? And he answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do we say about yourself? Now, this is important because remember, back in Malachi, he said that he was going to send Elijah. If you go back with me to Malachi, the fourth chapter, the fifth verse, he says, see, I will send a prophet Elijah to you before the great and dreadful day of the Lord come. So they had that written down. They had that scripture of a prophecy of Elijah coming. So they were looking for Elijah. And they asked John the Baptist, who are you? Are you Elijah? He says, no, I'm not. So 
they had that part right. So that's all they knew of um, and understood that Elijah was going to come again. Remember, we talked the week before that, uh, a few weeks before that Elijah were was taken up and in a chariot, a fire, and a whirlwind. So he never really, he never died, but he was taken up into heaven. And Elisha became uh, the next prophet because he was his armor bearer. So that's who they knew. And they knew the story of that. They knew how Elijah was taken up. So they, when Malachi begins to uh, rewrite the prophet Malachi began to write what God said he's going to send Elijah again to turn their hearts. See, they were looking for that, but then, then here come John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, he's, he's, uh, he's also a man that's preaching repentance. Turn back, turn back to God. He, he loves you and repent from your sins. Now, this is what they're understanding that, okay, this connects him to Malachi, the book of Malachi. So what he's telling us is the last things that God told us that we need to return back to him. We need to turn back, turn uh, back to our children and, and our parents back to us. So this must be Elijah. But John the Baptist said, no, I'm not him. I'm not those. He said, um, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. See, that's what I'm talking about. The, the, the Old Testament writings prophesied and gave a, a direction as far as how these things are going to happen. Isaiah was the voice that cried. Uh, I'm sorry. The prophet Isaiah said he is in 40th and the third verse that uh, make way to straight the way of the Lord, as a prophet Isaiah said. And this is who John were able to relate himself with during his ministry. He was the one crying in the wilderness. And if you read up on John the Baptist, John the Baptist was a man of real mild means. He, he wore, you know, uh, woolly clothes and he ate locusts and he had a, a leather belt around his waist and he lived in the wilderness. But his message and who he was was so profound and so great because he was preaching nothing but repentance, nothing but repentance and salvation and get prepared for the day of the Lord is coming. And these are the things that John the Baptist was known for. So we're setting up the stage that this is the first time that God is telling his people, okay, you know, I've seen what you've been, do, been doing. I've seen what you've been through all these 400 and something years. Now I'm sending you rest. I'm sending you salvation. I'm sending you a means to reconnect back with me. All of the manly things or the, the man-made uh, ordinances and things that, that you have been living by and how elitist that the, the people that knew my word began to act. That was all prideful. And he says that he's preparing a way for him, for those to, to come to, to know him. And if you turn with me to Luke, the first chapter, the 17th verse, it says, Luke, the first chapter, 17th verse, 
It says he will go also before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, this was what was going on now. See, now we're setting up the stage of, of the coming Messiah and the way to be reconnected back to God. Wow, see, that's that's beautiful. Think about times when we have been through situations and stuff in our lives where we were looking for answers and we thought that all hope was lost, but then God sends something or send someone our ways or something comes in the mail that lets us know he's still with us. Think about how great you felt knowing that you were not alone in your struggle, knowing that someone cared. And that's God. God sending those people, just like he sent uh, John the Baptist. He had the power of Elijah, the spirit and power of Elijah, meaning that John the Baptist were not afraid of the other people uh, or the other the, the prophets or, or anything that was going on at that time. He stayed true to his message of repentance and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that's what we need to stay true to our message of repentance and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And for us to change who we are, that's what he wanted. And that's what John the Baptist's message were to the children of Israel in that day. So it says also that the Pharisees were the one that were questioning John the Baptist. Now, the Pharisees were the one, the learned ones, the ones that had the book of the law and the Torah and the Tovic, and those, they created those. So, or in the Septuagint, they had those um, writings where they can go and read in the scriptures when these things would happen. So they came and they saw this man out there, John the Baptist, preaching about repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So they knew Elijah, uh, I'm sorry, Malachi has wrote, had wrote these things long, long ago. So they just read up on it and said, okay, are you this guy? Are you this man? Are you the prophecy where God said Elijah would come? Well, the spirit of Elijah came through John the Baptist. And that's the great thing because that let them know that the word of God is correct. The prophecy is, is fulfilling itself. And it's, it's, it's going back to the old time way where God is, 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 is the voice <laughs> that's crying in the wilderness. But they still didn't want to believe it. So if we go to John, the fifth chapter, in the 28th and the 29th verse, Now, I'm, I'm going to explain the rest of these verses to you because um, this is important to understand the last part of Malachi. Now, the last part of Malachi says, Malachi, the fourth chapter, uh, starting at the third verse. And that's the verse that I want to read to... 
Well, the first through the third verse, Malachi the fourth, one through three. It says, surely the day is coming. It will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble. And the day that cometh will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Down to the third verse. Then you will trample on the wicked and they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord Almighty. Now, those are, those are words of God that's foretelling that, remember the children of Israel said, well, you, you know, you're treating the, the evildoers just like us, and you're treating the proud just like us. You, you don't really have a judgment for them. And so God is telling them, oh, oh, slow down now. I do have a judgment for you. And plus, I'm keeping record of who does well and who's not doing well, who loves me and who doesn't love me. And all of the evildoers that's doing evil in my sight, they will be judged. Now, we're getting into this part where we have to really think about this in the perspective of God. We're thinking about it in the perspective of the scripture, how the scripture from way back then is now being allocated in the New Testament for the New Testament believers, but it's not written in the same Old Testament format, but it's written in a way that still gets the same message across. Okay, so uh, again, Jane, John, the fifth chapter, the 28th to the 29th verse, John 5th chapter, 28th and 29th. Amen. It says, do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So see, now we're getting into fulfilling this part of Malachi. So he's saying, don't, don't be surprised because the hour is coming. Just like he foretold back then that those that, um, that the day is coming, that they will burn like fire and that every evildoer will be as stubble. See, we're getting there. But see, we're still point, pointing people to understand that God's word is true and God's word will not go out and come back void. And what he says, he means. So if he says he loves you, then God loves you. If God says that he wants to bless you, he wants to bless you. But there's a way that we have to live according to God's ways in order for the blessings to come the way God wants to bless us with. See, we can't come like the children of Israel are old, just wanting him to deliver them and then complain about it or wanting something from God then don't want to worship him. That's not what God wants. See, he's been there, done that with them. He's looking for people that it, it, deep down in their heart, in their minds and in their spirit. They have a heart for God and they have a heart to worship him in spirit and in truth. God already been uh, so somewhat duped <laughs> into, into thinking that these chosen people were going to do what he asked. 
Because God gave us free will. He doesn't want to be a tyrant, God, to force you into worship and praise. He wants your heartfelt praise and your worship to be genuine and sincere. So this is where we are now. Now, we're going through the New Testament, and, and God has sent John the Baptist, and uh, unto us a child was born. Jesus Christ was born, and Jesus uh, started his three-year ministry. He was preaching, and he was healing the sick, and he was, he was raising the dead, and he was proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand. And for all them that want to be saved, the want to be believed, to, to be reconciled back to the Father, is to believe on him. And that's where Jesus comes in. He's the connector for us to be reconciled back to God when we believe that he is Savior. He is a Savior. He is Messiah. And that's what it's all about, people. It's not about, you know, a religion. It's about a relationship. It's about understanding where we fit in this grand design, where we have a hope and a faith to be reconciled back to our creator. See, it, we, can, we can go through back and forth about, you know, intelligent design or creationism or Darwinism, all of that stuff. We can go around it. But I would rather have a thought and a feeling and a trust that after I die, that there's a, there's a place for me that's called heaven, that I can be able to continue to live and dwell in, in harmony and peace. No more cares of this world that, that, that anger me and no more sickness and no more disease. I would not think that after I die is just darkness. You cannot, I mean, what's the purpose of living if there's nothing to live for and look forward to in death? So like I heard this one pastor say, um, heaven is too high and eternity is too long, <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, hell is too hot and eternity is too long. So I would rather believe that God has a plan of us being reconciled back to him, to the place where he, he loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us as individuals because that's what it's all about. And that's what worship is all about. That's what our belief is all about. And when we fall out of the obedience and we fall out of the love of God and we decide to turn our backs on him and decide not to accept God as our creator and Jesus Christ as the reconciliation and the salvation that which we need in order to live, and in order to be reconciled back to our creator, then there's other things because he also spoke in the last book that the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, they'll be burned like a furnace and the day of the coming will set them on fire. See, now we're getting into the book of Revelation of the New Testament where it says, now uh, Revelation the 20th, uh, chapter in the seventh through the ninth verse. So this is great to, to be able to see where the, 
the blessings of obedience and the curses. And then you come and you see how God deals with good and evil, how God deals with people that believe in him, those that have turned their back on him. See, because he's given each and every one of us a chance today to come to know him as God. They're giving each and one of them us a chance to be reconciled back to him because he loves us. But that time is not forever. That time is not uh, a time where you got all of your life to just do whatever you want to do. And then, you know, when you die, you can say, oh, God, you know, you know, I, I loved you. You know that, man. And, you know, everything good. No. God wants to feel your worship. He wants to identify and know you through your worship and through your praise to him. That way, when when you die, he can say, good and faithful servant, well done. You have worshiped me in spirit and in truth. I know your heart. I know your heart didn't grow wax cold and you weren't stiff necked against me, that you obeyed and you tried to do the best that you can as far as worshiping me, that you could do. Because God gives us mercy and he gives us grace, but he knows our hearts. So we're not going to be perfect with whatever we do for God. But there's mercy and there's love for us that God can make and say, hey, you know, I still know your heart. Your heart is still good with me. So Revelation, the 20th chapter, the 7th through the 9th verse, it says, now when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations where, which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, whose number is as the sea, sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of all saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now, remember the reference of fire back in Malachi. Here you have another reference of being devoured by fire. In the evil days when the armies of Gog and Magog, which were the evil people, they surrounded the saints to do them harm and God devoured them. So see, the children of Israel believe that, well, God, you don't, you're not going to punish them because you're not doing that for them now. Now God is showing them down through the centuries, the remnants of who God is, the believers in Jesus Christ, those that are looking for a hope and a future. And that's what the book of Revelation is all about. It's about the hope and the future for the believers, the hope and the future of those that have been reconciled back to God, those that love the Lord and those that um, confess Christ as Savior and Messiah. See, the Jewish people back then in those days, they never believed that Jesus was Messiah. Just a few of them. Like a, it's always a remnant that God sends to believe his chosen people to believe in what he says at that moment. Jesus was Messiah. He was sent to save the Jews first, then the Gentiles. But those that did not believe, this is the result of the Jews and the Gentiles. They were consumed and devoured by fire. And then we're talking about the great book, right? The book that, um, that Malachi talked about in the second 
in the third verse, the book of third chapter, the 16th and the 17th um, and the 18th verse. If you go back to Malachi, the third chapter, Eight, 13 to the 18th verse. But I'm going to read the 16th to the 18th. It said, and, and those who fear the Lord, who spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I will make them my jewels. And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then shall, then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who God who serves God and the one who does not serve him. That's in Malachi. Now we're going to come here to Revelation, the 20th chapter at the 11th and the 12th verse. See, the reason why the Lord led me to contrast both of these, uh, compare both of these, is to show that the Old Testament word of God was still relevant in the New Testament because it you have to see where both of those connect us, not only to Jews, but to everyone else other than the Jews, which are called Gentiles. We are Gentiles unless you know for sure that you have Jewish blood in you. We are Gentiles, and those are non-Jewish people. We are uh, those that are not descendants of Abraham that you know of by DNA. Raise your hand. <laughs> That's me. But And there could be a lot of other people. But this is showing a connection spiritually of what God said and what he's doing and what he will do. So this is what he will do. Revelation, the 20th chapter, 11th and the 12th, he says, then I saw a great white throne. This is John, the revelator. He was on the island of Patmos and God gave him a vision and a dream. And, and God showed John all of these things that were going to come to pass in the future on that great day, in that great day of the Lord that Malachi talked about. He said, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it for whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and the books were open and another book was open, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. See, remember, God said in Malachi, he had a book of remembrance that he's going to remember those that did good and those that did not do good toward him. And now here we go to the day of the white throne of judgment. Now, this is all coming together. See, you, you got to see where these two scriptures are really coming to pass in, in in the past and in the future, how it correlates, how it expresses and how it shows the majesty and the immutability of who God is. That means he's he knows everything. He knows what's going to happen and he's not going to change. And he knows 
He knows what plan that he has for each and every one of us in this earth. Now, he just fulfilled that part. He says, well, you know, those that, that turn to me, you know, I'm going to, they're going to be written. I'm going to remember those that did not turn to me. I'm going to remember that too. And I'm going to write it in the book of remembrance. Now we come to Revelation, the throne of judgment. <laughs> That's what he says. And they all stood before him, great and small. And the books were open, meaning the books of remembrance. Now, with us, we have to really take an accountability that if all these things are lining up the way the Bible is lining them up. Now, it, it couldn't be any type of way that all this stuff could be configured so greatly like it's writing a, a, a Western novel or Eastern novel. We got to think in terms of spiritual ways because the Old Testament, Malachi, then the New Testament, Revelation talks about uh, uh, the similar things, the books opening up that judging the, those that are doing good and those that are doing evil and the book of remembrance. Think of what being remembered by God in our lives. What is God writing down about what we're doing, good or evil, righteous or unrighteous, saved or unsaved? You know, what is God writing it down about us? Will we be in that book of remembrance where we will be found in the book of life? Or will we be found in those other books where if our names are not written, see, we'll be cast in a lake of fire, a brimstone, and be burnt up. And that's what it talks about. And it says also, you know, um, we go to Revelation at 20 in the 13th verse. It says, where the sea gave up its dead who were in it, the deaf and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged each one according to their works. Now we're going to go on to the 10th verse. It says, uh, go back to the 10th verse. It says, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where a beast and the false prophets are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Wow. And that's that's so that's something to really think about it. Now we're not talking about doom and gloom here. We're talking about the book of remembrance on your life. We're talking about what God sees that you're doing in this world. Now, if you don't believe in God, then this don't pertain to you. <laughs> if you don't believe that there's a heaven and hell, this don't pertain to you. But those of us that do, this pertains to us because we have to find a way to always keep our name in the book of life. And the only way that we can do that by accepting his son, Jesus, which is the reconciliation and the redeemer for us. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. We are Gentiles, remember? We have to understand and feel that and, and deep down in our heart, believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, the Lord Jesus, that he died and he raised from the dead to be saved. And it's just that it's just that simple. 
Now, uh, here's the final thing. He says, then he will also say to the, those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. See, this is not something that we can look on television and see pictures of devils and demons and all of that stuff the way they depict it on TV because they want to desensitize us to what our future may be because it's not going to be pleasant hanging around with demons and, and, and devils and, and, and all those things. It's not going to be pleasant. He's saying right there, everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So if you want to go to an everlasting consuming devouring fire with brimstone, prepare for the devil and his angels. They don't believe. Don't trust. Don't think. I mean, if you if you think there's nothing left after death but darkness and blackness, then this don't pertain to you because you're just going to be in utter darkness and death and that's the end. But if you believe that there's something more eternal after death, then which way would you want to live? Would you want to be in everlasting fire prepared by the devils and his angels? Or do you want to live a life in heaven with God that's prepared for the believers, that those that believe that there will be sunshine, that there will be a place, a mansion prepared for us? See, I would rather be believing of having a mansion, <laughs> rooms and, and all that stuff, you know, where I don't have to worry that the streets are paved with gold and and every day is sunny. I want to believe that after I leave this earth to know that there's a better place that I'm going. I don't want to say that there's nothing. All that I got to do, I live up to it right now. And after that, that's it. You know, it's just darkness. You know, but people have uh, pressed in our hearts and in our minds to believe that that's all that's it. After this is total darkness. You live your life to the fullest on this earth and you do what thou wilt, you know, on this earth because you don't get another life. No, you don't get another life on this earth, but there is a thing called eternally. But there's hope because Mark 16 and 6 says, he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But he who does not believe will be condemned. So I'm offering now today an opportunity for you, those that believe and is baptized, to be saved. Meaning being saved means saved from that everlasting fire, saved from that fire and brimstone, saved from eternal death, saved from being devoured and, and reduced to stubble. God wants and desires to have a relationship with you. And God is his real that no man should be lost, but to come to repentance. And your repentance is a simple, simple act. It's very simple, everyone. All you have to do is just believe that Jesus died for your sins and believe that he is the son of God. That's all you have to do is believe in your heart these things. And when you do all those things, then you're ready to learn about Jesus, learn about God, learn about who they are and what it means to have them in our lives. And the way that that happens, once you have that personal, 
in-depth, individual acknowledgement in your heart. Then what's named the Holy Spirit or Holy Spirit will come into you, meaning it's God's spirit that will come and rest and help you to find peace and restoration in your heart. Where the, the things that you used to do, the things that defiled your body, the things that that uh, displease God in your life, you would want to change from that because you want your body, you want who you are, you want your mindset, your heartstrings, you want all of those to be filled with peace and love and joy. And God's spirit can give you that. All you have to do is have a desire to turn away from what you're doing or what you're feeling or how things are looking so bad and, 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 and evil in your life and just turn to God and look to him for your eternity. Look to him for your life, for your movement, for who you are on this earth. It is not hard. It's not difficult. It is, you don't have to give up nothing but your commitment, nothing but your desire to want to do what's right in God's eyesight. All you have to do is commit to doing that. And it's just that simple. And co your commitment will help you refrain, refrain from uh, doing things that are corrupt or corrupting your body, or corrupting your mind, or corrupting your spirit. Because if you have to think second about doing something, then you probably shouldn't do it. If you have to think second about it, or feeling guilty about something, then you shouldn't do it. If you have to think about, okay, this is not normal, you know, but I'm going to make it normal because I like doing it because it feels good, or I have the right to do it, then don't do it. So I encourage you all because, because this is a great opportunity for each and every one of us to get to know God, get to know his son, Jesus. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to proselytize anyone right now or, or try to get anyone to be saved right now because that's a personal thing. That's a personal. All I can do is lay out my thoughts of salvation, my hopes for being committed to Jesus, my beliefs in knowing that he's the son of God and hope that something that I say gravitate to your heart. But the book of Malachi talks extensively and exclusively and concisely about the devouring uh, a fire. It talks extensively about, you know, the book of remembrance. The book of Revelation talks about evil being cast with the devil and his angels. It talks about those that are, are saved will have eternal life. And those that are not found in the book of life or the book of remembrance, they shall be cast in a lake of fire. So these are not ultimatums. These are realistic things that's going to happen. Because think about it. If 99% of things that we talked about in the Bible is true and has come to pass, why would this not come to pass? We have to look at it even from an intelligent perspective. I mean, if you write a book 
and you're reading a book and most of the stuff in the book is coming to pass, then more than likely, you know, everything in the book is truthful. It's, it's, it's facts, you know, it's nonfiction. So I encourage you all. And that concludes Malachi, the fourth chapter in the entire book. So we're going to talk about the, the years of silence and what went on. We're going to do it briefly next week about that, just to set up um, the ushering in of the, the Savior being born, which will coexist with the month of December, which would kind of get everyone understanding why Christmas um, for Christians are being celebrated and not the pagan reason for Christmas or December the 25th. So with all that being said, I want to say good night to you all. I love you all and thank you. And I pray that you all have uh, gotten something out of here. Please, please um, share, download, or like, or subscribe. Either way you want to do it, um, I'll be grateful. But more importantly, I pray that you all have received something of value out of this discussion tonight. So thank you all. And God bless you all. Father, we thank you. We thank you for another evening to share our discussion, to share in our love and our desire to walk with you. We bless your name. We ask you, Father, to bless each home, bless each person that's under the sound of my voice, that's listening in or viewing. We ask you, Lord, to protect them in these evil days. Reveal yourself in their lives so that they can come to know you as God and your son, Jesus, as Savior. We bless your name and we thank you, Father, for all things. We love you and we bless your name. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen, everyone. So you all have a blessed night and I look forward to speaking with you all. Don't forget to reach out, subscribe, like, email, either way. We're here for you. We love you and thank you and have a good night.